You're probably familiar with uh, the story of the three little pigs and the big bad wolf, right? So I, I thought I'd have one of you come up and share that story with us, sort of a story hour here, but no, I won't do that. But, but you remember the story, the, the first two little pigs who built their houses with what? Sticks and straw. The first one, I believe, was straw. The second one was sticks. And the big bad wolf, if you remember the story, I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. And sure enough, blew their houses down. But the third pig was a little different. What did he build his house from? Bricks. And so the big bad wolf came and he huffed and he puffed and he blew. And he blew and he blew and... He couldn't blow the house down because it was strong. Now, as a preschooler hearing that story, I, I only had a little counseling I needed. That's a, you know, it's a pretty, <laughs> pretty fearful story, isn't it? But we're beginning a series in the book of Titus, and Paul is challenging a young pastor named Titus and the people on an island called Crete to stand firm, to, to build the church that it would endure struggles. He challenges them to, to do some things to allow the church, or the churches, there was more than one on this island of Crete, to remain strong, to be able to withstand the storms and, and struggles that they would face. He lays out a blueprint for churches that would allow them to fulfill their purpose and to remain strong. Now, you're, you've probably played the game Jenga, right? And, and what's, what's the goal of Jenga? Response. Yeah. To make sure you aren't the one that pulls out that one piece that causes the whole thing to topple over. And, and as some of the pieces are taken out, as they're taken out, it loses a little bit of its stability. And as it loses more and more of its foundation, it becomes less stable. And eventually, it will fall. But Paul, sharing with Titus and sharing with us, wants to challenge us to make sure that, that the church is built in a way that it will be strong, that its foundation will be solid, that it can withstand any storms that it may face, and that it can flourish and, and do what it is called to do. And we see doing things like choosing leaders, dealing with false teaching, working together, helping each other grow, and throughout these 46 verses of this small letter that Paul is sharing, we see some things that Titus and the people of Crete were called to do, some things that we're called to do, to allow the church, to allow our church to be strong and to impact our world. So I'd like to begin with just a little bit of a background, so please bear with me as we look at this. Uh, so some of you love the geography, etc. Some of you are like, well, let's get to the verses and what does Paul challenge us to do? But 
to get a little bit of a background helps us to better understand, not just today, but throughout the whole book. Titus was living on an island called Crete, and we have a map here. And uh, in the map, we see down here is down here is Crete. Now down over here is Israel, but and up here we see Greece and other places and and Rome, the the area of Rome. It's cent- centered right here, and and Paul had left. Titus on Crete. Crete was originally visited by Paul on his trip to Rome when he went before Caesar. If you remember the story from the book of Acts, uh, Paul was, was indicted, I guess you could say. He was challenged by the Jewish leaders and others, and he said, I want my appeal to go to Caesar. And so the last chapters of the book of Acts share Paul dealing with some of the leaders, but eventually going toward Rome. And on his way to Rome, he ended up stuck on the island of Crete. Crete was known as a very rough place. In fact, one commentator called it Las Vegas on steroids. And even in these, in these verses in Titus, we see a little glimpse of, of the, the harshness of the culture of Crete. In verses 12 and 13 of Titus chapter 1, it says, one of them, a prophet of their own, a Cretan, said this, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Paul was sharing, hey, this is what one of the, one of the people of Crete says. We're a bunch of horrible people. And Paul said, it's true. And so you sort of get a little picture of of some of the culture that Paul and Titus and the churches there were facing. I think oftentimes we we talk about what we do or don't do, and, and we use the excuse and we say, well, but you don't know what it's like. Talking about things like, Honoring authorities. Well, you don't know our authorities. Paul wrote that when a guy named Nero was the head of Rome. And if you read your history, you'll see that Nero was not a, a good guy, to put it lightly. And so, Titus and the people there on Crete were facing a very difficult culture. The letter written by Paul, Paul the Apostle, he describes himself in two ways in verse 1. He calls himself a bondservant and an apostle. A bondservant, the idea of a, having, being property of a master. And in the Old Testament, the, the description of the Jews, when, when they owed money or other things, they were made to be servants or slaves. But then after a period of time, they were freed from that indebtedness, from that slavery, but they could choose voluntarily to, to remain that servant of that master or slave of that master for life. And that's a similar term to what the term we have here. It's voluntary slavery. Paul put himself under the authority of God. And the other term is apostle. 
Now, apostles, we look at the apostles described, we, we see that they were to be eyewitnesses of Christ. In fact, Paul called himself an apostle born out of due time because he wasn't involved as, as one of those apostles following Jesus during his earthly ministry, but he met Jesus on the road to Damascus when he gave his life to, to God, and so he called himself an apostle out of due time. But in general, an apostle is someone who is sent to accomplish a task on behalf of a sender. Both of these descriptions that Paul gave of himself pointed to the fact that Paul said, I am not the one in charge. God is. I am His servant. Paul shared those statements in humility. Now that's, that was countercultural. And really, it's countercultural today, but, but in, that, in that culture, strength, power, position was what it was all about. And if you willingly put yourself under the authority of someone else, you were considered weak. Paul looked at it so much or so differently. He was this bond slave, bond servant, an apostle. He considered his goal to be a humble servant of a holy God. And we're introduced to Titus. Now, there's, Titus is mentioned in Corinthians, other places. Titus is mentioned in the New Testament. He served with Paul. He had a very close relationship with Paul. We see in verse 3 that, that Paul calls Titus his son in the faith. Probably pointing that that. Titus accepted Christ under the ministry of Paul, and we know that he was mentored by Paul. And we see, as we're going to be looking in these first verses here momentarily, that, that Titus was left on this island of Crete to lead the churches there throughout the island. And in verse, the first four verses, we see the goals of the church. Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, follow along as I read. It says, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of truth, which accords with godliness and hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. In the first couple verses, we see that, that Paul lays out three goals that were to be sought by the churches there in Crete and to be sought by churches of our time. We see these goals that first to, be, to see people saved. The church was to be evangelistic. They were to reach out with the Gospel. Not only that, but they were to see people grow. Also in verse 1, it says that they were to grow in godliness. Now again, about 46 verses as we've divided this letter into verses, so it's not very long, but throughout it, many times we see this term, godliness. The challenge for the people to be more like Jesus Christ. 
And a goal that, that the churches there needed to have, a goal that we need to have is to grow in our faith and to encourage and help each other to grow. And the third goal listed here by Paul to Titus in verse 2 was the goal of to see people encouraged. He speaks specifically of the hope of eternal life. They were facing intense persecution, difficult circumstances. But they were to encourage one another and encourage the church in the hope that they had in Christ. These goals very similar to what was laid out in the church in Jerusalem in the first chapters of Acts. The importance of worshiping together, growing together, and sharing, sharing the gospel and, and working together to reach the world. In our church, we believe our mission is to worship, grow, and share, just as Paul challenged Titus here in these first verses of his letter to this young pastor. Worship, grow, and share. Encourage one another. Help each other as we try, strive to become more like Jesus Christ and share the good news of the gospel. And so we see that, that Paul says that, and then he says to Titus, my true son in the faith, showing their close relationship, grace, mercy, and peace. Fairly familiar or used quite often by Paul in his introductions to his various letters that we have recorded in the New Testament. These words, grace, mercy, and peace. Grace, unmerited favor. Mercy, giving us what we don't deserve. Peace, both in position as our sins are forgiven, but also peace in our heart as we can, be, as we can trust in God and be encouraged in that. And so Paul shares this introduction, and then he jumps right into some of the different needs of the church. And over these next few weeks, as we go through this book of Titus, we're going to see some of the things that the church needed to do and not do. He lays out this blueprint to make a strong and impactful church. And he begins with the importance of godly leadership. John Maxwell states it this way, everything rises and falls on leadership. Without godly leadership, the church will fail. And Titus was given a responsibility of, of putting things in order and with that, finding godly leaders for these churches in these towns on the island of Crete. And Paul knew that, that godly leadership was vital. And so we're going to see here in these verses this morning, verses 5-9, through nine, he, he, lay, he lays out characteristics that needed to be obvious and lived out in the life of leaders. These characteristics that they were to exhibit. So let's look at some of these leader characteristics in verses 5 through 9. 
It says, for this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I have commanded you. Paul says, I left you there for a purpose. There's some things you need to work on and and lead in that. And as part of that, appoint elders, leaders in these different cities, these different churches, in these communities around the island. And then he shares some of these characteristics in verses 6 and through 9. It says, If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast to the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Now one of the things that that I want you to notice here, as we're sort of laying this foundation, we see that, that the focus that Paul was emphasizing was not a focus on position or power or influence in the community. But the focus was on character. Now, as a church, we we have plans and goals and strategies. And those are good things. But the foundation that we need to stand upon first and foremost is godly character. Godly character is vital. And so, let's take just a few minutes and, and, and look at some of these characteristics that Paul says are vital in the leadership of the church. The first he mentions there in verse 6 is a good reputation. Leaders needed to be blameless, above reproach, both in the church and in the community. It doesn't mean that they were to be perfect because we are all sinners. But no one should be able to to bring the character of of their lives into question. They're to be models of godliness. And he says it there in verse 6. He repeats that characteristic again in verse 7. They're to be known for a godly life. A good reputation. Now that's hard in some ways because well, you know, what's more important? Character or reputation. Oftentimes, you do something for the right reason, but yet somebody can take it and twist it and, and question your motives or question your actions. One of my favorite little sayings is this, you can be a dove in a snowstorm and someone will still mistake you for a blackbird. Some of you will get that a little later on today. But we need to strive to have that godly reputation that no one can say, oh, (laughs) you're a leader there? That godly reputation needs to be exhibited in the lives of each one of us. But Paul here focusing on the lives of the leaders, the character 
of a good reputation. And then he goes on and he looks at both in the family and in the church and community some of these characteristics, some that they're to not have and some that they are to have. But he begins by looking within the family. This leader needs to be a godly husband and father. They're to be godly in their family life. A faithful husband, a godly father, they're to be examples as they live in their family. And then he goes on in, in verse, verse 7, and he shares some of these characteristics that, that this godly leader must avoid. They must not be selfish. It's not about them. It's about two things. It's about God and others. A good leader cannot say, what's in it for me? It's all about me. But a good leader must be a servant. I shared this, this story a while ago, but I was at a, 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 a Christian, uh, it, was a, it was a Christian company, and, and I had the opportunity to go through it. This was quite a few years ago, not in Helena, but, but it was fascinating because as you go down the one hallway, they had a picture of all of their employees, and they probably had... A, I guess 80 or 100 employees, maybe somewhere in there. So it's a you know a decent sized company, and but their diagram was sort of interesting. They had pictures of of all the different employees, but it was an upside down pyramid. And those who had what we would consider the highest positions, the CEO and CFO and, and, and these different leaders were at the bottom of this, and it was big, it was on this wall, they were at the bottom. And then it spread out as it went up. Those people who would say, well, they're under them, but actually the point that, that they were making was the leader needs to be the servant. And Paul was reminding Titus that a godly leader is to be servant. Now, the disciples struggled with that. Do you remember that story? It actually happened more than once in the Gospels. Where they were fighting over who would be first, or at one time they were fighting over who wouldn't be least, the one that, that would wash feet. No, no, not me. And then Jesus stepped in and did it. But, but they were fighting who could sit next to Jesus at one time. And Jesus said, if you want to be great, be the servant of all. And a godly leader needs to be a servant. It can't be based upon selfishness. What's in it for me? We see another characteristic there to avoid is they're not to be quick-tempered. Flying off the handle. They can't control their anger. Their response to others needs to be controlled. Not only that, it says that they can't be controlled by alcohol. We go to Ephesians 5.18 that tells us that we can't be controlled by alcohol, but rather be controlled by the Spirit. They're not to be violent. That goes along with the quick-tempered. But to be someone who's like, oh boy, you know, we can't have a leader that's the Incredible Hulk. Don't make me angry. You won't like me when I'm angry. And, and that term violent, 
It talks about physical violence, but it also talks about verbal or, or gives the, the point of verbal violence too. Oftentimes, we may not strike out with our fists, fists, but we love to strike out with our tongue. Paul says, listen, these leaders can't be violent. And then greedy there in the end of verse 7. This connects with that selfishness, the first one he, he, may, he shared in this list of things they're to avoid. I can't seek a position of leadership for what I can get out of it. As we said before, it's a position of service, of helping others. A leader must be focused on what they can give, not what they will give, or get, excuse me. And so we see this list of, of characteristics, and we, I know just a brief overview, but to recognize those things that a godly leader must avoid. But then in verses 8 and 9, some characteristics that they're to demonstrate. You put off these other characteristics, you put on these things. First one he mentions is hospitable. The term emphasizes showing hospitality. And a a focus of it is those who are not like us. There's people that it's easy to be around with, whether be around, whether they're just sort of, you know, they're maybe they're just always happy, you know, you leave your time with that person, you feel better, or, or maybe they have similar likes that you have, and it's just easy to be around them. But this godly leader must be hospitable to those who aren't like him, to those who they know well, to those who they don't know well, to those who they, they connect with, to those who they maybe have a struggle connecting with. They're still to be hospitable. Showing kindness and grace, mercy. Spending time encouraging those they know well, those they don't know well. Those they click with those they maybe don't click with as much. Hospitable. It says here going on in verse 8 that they're to love what is good. Philippians 4.8 reminds us that, that as followers of Christ, we're to think on things that are true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, of good report. A godly leader is, is driven by and, and focused on good. They're to be sober-minded. Control of the things that they think and the actions that they take. Just. A commitment to things that are proper, right, and fitting. Holy. The idea of being in obedience to God's will, doing what is right. No matter the circumstances, no matter the consequences. They need to choose right. And then self-controlled, which really fits very closely with sober-minded. Living a godly life as we're controlled by the Spirit of God. And then verse 9 says that they're to, to pass on, to teach those things that they are growing in themselves. They're to have a knowledge of God's Word and an ability to pass that knowledge on. That doesn't necessarily mean that, that they just feel comfortable speaking before hundreds and thousands. 
But I love the, Paul's picture in 2 Timothy 2.2 as he challenged Timothy to the things that he has learned to pass on to others so that they can teach others also. A godly leader will grow in their faith and will pass that on. They live out the Word of God. And as people observe them, they're drawn to following God just by observing them, but also able to, to teach, encourage them, others, to encourage others in that. So we see this list of characteristics a godly reputation, being a godly husband and father. Verse 7, putting off the ungodly characteristics that Paul lists there and then putting on the, the things that they need to exhibit in verses 8 and 9. This needs to be evident in the leaders of the church. And as Paul was challenging Titus and the people there as they chose leaders, look for people, maybe not as the world sees a leader, but vitally as God sees a leader. It's all about character. Now, you may be here this morning. In fact, a vast majority of you here this morning are not a leader in the church. You may never be a leader in the church. And you say, well, that was nice. But, I want to challenge you in this. While Paul is laying this out as characteristics that, that is vital for leaders to have, we are all called to live out those characteristics. I, earlier I mentioned John Maxwell and, and his, uh, his quote, everything rises and falls on leadership. He has another quote, and, uh, and he, he's written a lot of books on leadership. He's a former pastor, works in leadership with different businesses and churches around our nation and the world. And, and uh, I, I, they asked him to define leadership. And uh, you can debate a definition of leadership, but I, I loved his answer. He said, leadership is influence. You see, leadership is not necessarily a title, even though that's oftentimes we look at, well, who's the leader of your company? Well, this person is, because they have the title. But you see, leadership isn't based in a title. Leadership is influence, and, and no matter where you are in your company, you will influence if you work. No matter where you are in your family, no matter the position you have, you influence. In every relationship, you have an opportunity to influence. And in the church, you're called to influence. And we all must influence in a godly way. And the way to influence is to demonstrate these characteristics. To get rid of those things that Paul listed in verse 7 that we're not to have. But the things there in verse 6 and verses 8 and 9 that we're to live out and exhibit in our lives need to be evident. And when they are, we will be more like Christ and we will help others as we lead and encourage them to be more like Christ.
So as we continue through the book of Titus, we'll, we'll see many different things that the church needs to do, things the church needs to avoid. But a foundational principle is the fact that a church must have good leadership. And leaders as well as everyone need to demonstrate these characteristics to reflect the love of Jesus Christ to each other and to the world around us that needs to see him and his love. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your goodness. I pray that you would help us today to recognize the importance of living out these godly characteristics. No matter our position or lack thereof, Lord, help us to recognize the influence that you've called us to live out. Lord, I pray for Hannaford Street. Lord, our desire to impact our community and our world for you. Lord, help us to strive to worship, grow, and share. Lord, it's only through your power and we do it for your glory. We thank you for your faithfulness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.